0: According to a survey from a few years ago, children ask an average of 73 questions a day. Uh, Their curiosity apparently peaks at age four. Uh, We we have a few uh, four-year-olds here today, so uh, that is peak uh, age for question asking, apparently. Uh, And some of those questions are more easily answered than others but according to that survey here are the top four questions that parents struggle to answer why do people die where did i come from what is god and how was i made why do people die where did i come from what is god how was i made those questions are pretty interesting in and of themselves aren't they They tell us that children have an intrinsic knowledge that death isn't part of life, that they're not accidents, that there is such a thing as God, and that they were created rather than being the products of evolution. It shows us too, doesn't it, why it's futile to to say, well, I'll not bring up my child as any part of a particular religion. I'll just let them grow up and decide But that's futile because the uh, secular humanism of our 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 day gives radically different answers to these four questions than christianity does Uh, christianity gives uh, one set of answers to these questions uh, and the the humanism of our day gives radically different answers Uh, so so we have to pick one or the other uh, and and not to give them the Bible's answers are to pick the answers of our culture. There is no sitting on the fence. Uh, you can't answer questions like that without accepting or denying a particular set of beliefs about the world. So children ask good questions. Even before the age that they start school, they're asking some of the most profound questions that there are. But sadly, as adults, we can stop asking those same questions. And yet, by God's grace, there are some here this morning because after years of blocking out those questions, you've started asking them once again. And in this chapter, one of Jesus' disciples asks one of the most profound questions of all. And we're going to look at that question and Jesus' answer to it under two headings this morning. saying firstly, the importance of the question. The importance of the question. Those top four questions that parents struggle to answer are profound because they deal with matters of life and death. And Thomas's question to Jesus here in verse 5 is in the same category. Uh, and specifically it's to do with life after death. Jesus has uttered words which are often quoted at, at funerals. If there's any religious aspect at all about the funerals. In my father's house are many rooms. If I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am you may be also and you know the way. To where I am going. To which Thomas responds, Lord, we, we do not know the way to where you're going. How can we know the way? So Thomas's question is about life after death. It's about going to the Father's house. It's about going to where Jesus is now. And that's a hugely important question to ask. Of course, if death is just the end, it's an irrelevant question to ask. But if, as the Bible teaches, every human being is created with an immortal soul, then it's a hugely important question. Because in that case, the life that we live on earth now is just the beginning. The 70 or 80 years we might have on earth are nothing compared to eternity. And so the question of where we'll spend eternity couldn't be any more important According to the Bible, there are only two options where anyone can spend eternity. In God's glorious presence or in his angry presence. Experiencing the king's pleasure or facing the king's wrath. In short, heaven or hell. And so Thomas is asking Jesus, How can we make sure that we are in heaven with you for all eternity? So the subject of this question makes it really important. But it's also an important question because of who asks it. Jesus was asked many questions, often by people who, who weren't really interested in the answer, but were just looking to, to trip them up. But this is a question asked by, by Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, and Thomas genuinely wants to know the answer and the surprising thing is that he that he doesn't already know the answer when Jesus thinks that he should one of the many ways in which we know that the gospel records about Jesus aren't made up by the disciples is that the disciples are continually portrayed in the gospels as clueless If the disciples had been making up these stories about Jesus in order to try and start a movement where they would be powerful and influential, they would never have done it by by writing documents which showed that they were consistently failing to understand Jesus and even opposing what he was trying to do. You know, when people today write about you know someone who who would go on to become famous there's always a temptation to say well, well yes back at the start I recognized that that this person was something special uh, I was there from the start and I could see what others couldn't see but but the disciples uh, they they just tell us how clueless they were and here in the space of a few uh, verses two of Jesus disciples uh, Thomas and Philip ask questions that they should have known the answers to These weren't brand new recruits. At this point, they'd been following Jesus for three years. They should have known the answers to the questions they asked, but they didn't. And yet, even though they should have known the answers, Thomas is to be commended for his honesty here. Uh, Because at least he asks the question. He doesn't just try and bluff along. A lot of people today have wrong ideas about God and Jesus and church that they've inherited from their parents or or grandparents or they've picked up from TV or, or or even sadly from from Sunday school or a previous experience of church but then they hear something that challenges those assumptions that they've lived with so long but they just ignore it they try and put it to the back of their mind And that can be especially the case if someone is a church goer. Thomas is one of the twelve disciples. He'd been following Jesus for three years. It's a pity in a way that he had to ask this question, but it would have been far worse if he just kept on pretending. But a lot of people do. They, They think to themselves, well... That actually sounds the opposite of what i 've always believed but but i 've been to church for twenty thirty forty years, and I would feel silly asking it so so i 'll not uh, maybe that 's even someone here today. Uh, perhaps you have a nagging feeling that what you 've always believed about Jesus and the Bible may not actually be true. it may be different from what you, what you 're hearing now. Uh, uh, Maybe a minister or elder has even asked you directly about what you believe and you've, you've bluffed your way through it. If that's you today, then it's not too late to be open and honest about your questions about where you stand. It's not too late to be honest about your doubts or the things that you don't understand. It's not too late to ask that question that, that, that you've always wondered about. No one's going to say, I can't believe you didn't know that. Instead, they're going to say, I'm so glad that you asked. But just continuing to muddle along won't help anybody. Eternity is at stake. Thomas left it late to ask this question to Jesus. The crucifixion was just around the corner. But many people leave it too late. Don't be one of them. It's too important for that. So firstly, the importance of the question. Secondly, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. If people today believe in heaven, they tend to believe that most people will go there. Yes, there will be some really bad people that, that won't make it to heaven, Hitler, child abusers and so on. But but good, decent people uh, who don't do anyone else any harm, well surely they will be in heaven. But that's a strange assumption for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's a strange assumption because the idea of heaven comes from the Bible. And so surely we should let the Bible tell us who will go to heaven and who won't. And in the Bible there's no assumption that everyone will make it to heaven or even that the majority of people will make it to heaven. Jesus says elsewhere, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it by are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus himself says that many are going to eternal destruction and few are going to eternal life. And so if you ever wonder, well, well, can Christianity really be true? Can the Bible really be true if so few people believe it? Well, actually, Jesus says it's only going to be a few people who are going to believe it. The idea that most people will make it to heaven is also a strange assumption because we know our own hearts. Deep down we know that we we fail to live up to our own standards at times, never mind God's. And above all it's a strange assumption because if heaven was so easy to get into then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. If heaven was for all, good decent respectable people then jesus wouldn't have needed to come and that brings us to thomas's question in verse 6 thomas has asked how can we know the way to god how can we know the way to where you're going and jesus replies there's only one way only one way One of the most frustrating things about the A77 being closed is that there aren't good alternate routes. You can make it north but your journey is going to be a lot longer and on roads that are a lot worse. But at least there is another way. But there is literally only one way to heaven. And that is through Jesus Christ. that's what he says in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look, particularly in today's climate, that's a pretty controversial claim to make. Maybe you've started coming to church and you're drawn to the person of Jesus. Uh, You you read the Bible and you believe it. Uh, You're maybe even at the point of putting your faith and trust in Jesus, but you wonder, Is he the only way? What if I had encountered another religion instead? Or what if I listened to to someone else who would knocked on my door? Would would their way not, not perhaps be valid as well? Is it not intolerant to claim that no other philosophy or religion or set of beliefs will get you into heaven? But only trusting in Jesus Christ? But ultimately what it comes down to is, do you think Jesus Christ is trustworthy? From all that that you know about Jesus, from all that you've read about him in the Gospels, uh, from all that you've seen elsewhere in the Bible of prophecies being fulfilled, do you think Jesus is lying here when he says that he is the only way? Surely you don't from all that we know about him in the rest of scripture, from, from the wisdom that we see from him every time he opens his mouth, from, from the compassion that he shows to those around him. Surely we're not going to look at these words of the Lord Jesus and say, uh, say that he's lying. But that is what what many people are, are saying when they say Jesus isn't the only way to God. They're calling him a liar. So when he says here that he is the truth, do you believe that he's speaking truth? When he says that he is the way, will you say that there is another one? When he says no one comes to the Father except through me, will you say that actually, Jesus, you're wrong, there are alternate routes there is another way to your father. Tragically, most people simply don 't believe Jesus. In fact, they would go as far to say that most churchgoers in Scotland today don 't believe Jesus. They think there is another way to heaven, and that way is through living a good life, going to church, joining a church, giving money to charity, and so on. Uh, and that 's nothing new. Jane Austen, uh, the famous novelist, died in 1817. Her brother put the following on on her tombstone. He, He said that her family were consoled that her charity, her devotion, her faith and her purity rendered her soul acceptable in the sight of her Redeemer. So he said that a combination of charity, devotion, faith and purity made her acceptable to God sounds reasonable it's basically what every other religion in the world teaches but not christianity christianity teaches that it's only what jesus has done on the cross that makes us acceptable to god not anything that that we've done christianity teaches that the the way to god has been closed by our sin it teaches that that we all know that god exists but in our unrighteousness we suppress the truth, that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie uh, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, and that far from having life within ourselves, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to change that. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins by telling you that you're far worse than you ever imagined But it also goes on to tell you that you can be far more loved than you ever dreamed. But the only way is through Jesus Christ. For those who will repent of their sins and put their trust in him. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our religious affiliation or devotion. It's not about living a good life. The only way to God is through Jesus So are we saying there, there's no place for, for good works in the Christian life? Are we saying that Christians can live however they want, as long as they believe in Jesus? Well, not at all. But those good works come after God saves someone, not before. They're done out of gratitude for what has already taken place, not as a way to try and earn God's favour. And obedience to God also serves as evidence, as to whether we're really his people or not. So many people in Scotland think of themselves as Christians because they were born in what would have been termed a Christian country. So many people in Scotland think of themselves as Christians because they've been baptised. So many people in Scotland think of themselves as Christians because they're members of a Christian church so many people think that they are christians because they're more religious than their friends but what does jesus say well going down to verse 15 he says if you love me you will keep my commandments or verse 21 whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me if someone is a true follower of jesus christ they will do what he says Not perfectly, of course, none of us can do that, but the pattern of their life will be a pattern of obedience rather than disobedience. And one particular way that this I am saying of Jesus calls us to obey him is in the whole area of truthfulness. If Jesus is the truth, then how badly do we misrepresent him if we say things that aren't true? We might not deliberately lie but if we state things as facts that aren't even if we've read them somewhere, heard them somewhere uh, and we're convinced that they're true if they're not true then that's misrepresenting Jesus. We should be very careful about making confident claims about things that we don't know very much about. Things that we can't verify or if we accuse someone else of of telling lies, whether someone we know or or someone on the news, if we are wrong in what we say about them, that is a serious thing too. Even if we completely disagree with someone's position as Christians, we can't argue against them using arguments that aren't true. Neither can we try and discredit them by saying things about them that we don't have evidence for because if we say something about someone that isn't true then it's slander even if we're convinced that it's true and how often do we do we say that by by uh, uh, claiming that we know what someone's motives are we say that they're only doing that because uh, but do we really know why why they're doing it And even if we're in an argument with someone who is is clearly in the wrong, if we're arguing for the the Bible and they're arguing against the Bible, to go beyond the truth in what we say, uh, to try and bulk up our argument, that is actually doing the work of the father of lies. It's not doing the work of the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. If Jesus has been at work in our lives by his Spirit, then he will be transforming our speech, both, both what, we, what we say out loud or what we, what we write online. So as followers of Jesus, we need to be careful uh, with what we say. Jesus says elsewhere, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. And verse 22 sadly reminds us that, that among God's people there will always be those among, among them who look the part, who sign the part, but who aren't really saved. Uh, because the, verse 22 reminds us of the existence of Judas Iscariot. It's the other Judas who's speaking here. Uh, John is careful to tell us that this isn't Judas Iscariot, but, but uh, we have here the mention of the name of the one who would betray Jesus. There have always been those among God's people who who say the right things, who who do many of the right things, but their heart is not in it. Uh, And sooner or later, that usually becomes pretty clear. But why would you want to pretend? Why would anyone want to go through the motions? Following Jesus is the greatest life that there is. Yes, the Christian life is hard, but it's also full of joy. Christians are described by the Apostle Paul as those who are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Christianity isn't about living a miserable life now in the hope of inheriting heaven later on. It's about living a joy-filled life now despite the suffering and the hardships and then living forever in God's presence with all the suffering at an end. Thomas Kempis paraphrased Jesus I Am saying here like this, back in the 1400s. Follow me, I am the way, the truth and the life. Without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no living. I am the way you must follow, the truth you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the indestructible way, the infallible truth, the never ending life. When Jesus says, I am the life, he, he means that he gives us that life even now. That's the reason he came, that we would no longer follow the way that leads to death, but find the way that leads to life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have you found that life? We can know it even now. And as we draw things to a close this morning, having looked at Thomas's question here and Jesus' answer to it, I want to finish by looking at some words that that Thomas says quite a few chapters later in John's Gospel, but only a few days later. It comes almost at the end of John's Gospel, after Jesus has died and risen, and yet it's just a few days after what happens here. Thomas get, gets a pretty bad rap from a lot of people. He's often known as Doubting Thomas. He wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, and he says that he's not going to believe until he can touch the mark of the nails by which Jesus hung on the cross. Remember, the disciples were the first sceptics of the resurrection. They needed as much convincing as anyone else that Jesus had risen from the dead, maybe even more so. Uh, But Thomas, he's not there. He doesn't see it with his eyes. He doesn't believe. And so he's known as doubting Thomas. But maybe we'd be more justified in calling him believing Thomas. Because in many ways what Thomas says in chapter 20, 28 is the high point of John's gospel. Thomas, a Jew who believes that there is only one true God, stands before Jesus of Nazareth and says, My Lord and my God. That is an astonishing thing. Jesus doesn't rebuke him for it. We see elsewhere in the Bible, uh, people try and worship angels, people try and worship some of the apostles that they 're rebuked they're told to get on your feet. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that here. Uh, rather, he accepts Thomas 's worship. Thomas says to Jesus, "My Lord and my God," and, and Jesus accepts his worship. People try to patronise Jesus by saying that he was a good man who never claimed to be God. But he did. He accepted the worship due to God alone. And this is the high point of John's Gospel. It's the point that Thomas got to by God's grace. And, and by God's grace it's the point that all of us need to get to as well. Seeing Jesus not, not just as a, a character from some stories we heard about in Sunday school... Seeing Jesus not simply as a good man, not even merely agreeing with the statement that Jesus is God, but saying, my Lord and my God. Seeing him as the centre of our universe and basing our life around him. Jesus is, is like the sun. If you were to remove the sun from the solar system, everything else would fall apart. The planets would be spinning out of control. It would be chaos. And it's the same with a life lived without Jesus at the centre. Sometimes the chaos there is on the outside for everyone to see. Sometimes it's the hidden distress on the inside. But either way, life without the sun is chaos. Uh, Some of you know too well what that's like, but by God's grace, you've now started out on a different path. As human beings, we're all by nature cut off from God. There is a way back, but only one way. And rather than complaining that there is only one way, we should praise God that there is a way. And for what it cost that there might be that way. Through Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Well, let's respond to what we've heard by singing the closing verses of Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is found on page 23. Verses 7 through 10. It's another example of the truth of the Bible. A prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Verse 9. Because my soul within the grave you will not leave to be and you decay will not allow your Holy One to see. Quoted by the apostles in the book of Acts and applied to the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 10 is a reminder that true life can only be found in Jesus Christ Uh, even now you'll show to me the path of life outside of Jesus there is only eternal death but with him there is life lasting joy and pleasures forevermore Uh, so psalm 16 verses 7 to 10 if you're able uh, please stand as we sing praise